Hello and welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're at home, on your way to work, or at the gym, we hope you enjoy this episode. And a special welcome to our Crux Club Early Access members. You can learn more about that at crux-club.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to our members of Crux Club and to subscribers on Crux Investor. We're here for our weekly catch-up with Uranium Insider, Justin Hewn. Hello, Justin. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Been a has it been a bit quiet week or a busy week in the world of uranium? Uh, it's been a it's been a decent week. Uh, there's been some developments as there usually are. It's been trumped by all the wackiness in the world. But, I, I like uh, what you did. There. There's still I like what you did. There. That was, that <laughs> there's was still some some stuff moving and shaking. Yeah. And is the is the is there still rioting on the streets of of uh, the U.S. of A. Uh, from what I can tell, yes. Although in my direct surroundings, everything's perfectly fine. So um, it's hard to really know what's real and what's not based on what's filtering in from social media and everything. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's mainly been localized in the um, in the urban centers, you know, in the big cities. Right. Some peaceful protests mixed in with some quasi-violent looting that seems to be not necessarily even related to the protests. It's really strange times. Yeah, some opportunists taking yeah. advantage uh, either for financial gain or to cast dispersions. Not good, not good. Um, hopefully right. it resolves itself and hopefully the, um, the reason why there are peaceful protests will not be forgotten um, and something, mm. actually, something actually happens as a result. But look, we're here to talk about uranium. Right. So Indeed. few things happened in the world of uranium this week. No, no, nothing hugely alarming in themselves, but some clues as to um, around inventories. So why don't we start off with Kaz Atom Proms? Uh, we, we, we saw a statement from them. So what, what was your take on that? Because I thought, I thought that was really fascinating that they were so open. Yeah. The, he, the, the CEO, Permatov, has... Um, has, has done a couple of interviews that have been put out there by, um, by a couple of different uh, journalistic pieces that have, have basically just kind of lining out what's going on with the with COVID, um, what to be expected from Kazadam from going forward. Not necessarily in specific terms, but just kind of uh, some vague terms about production levels, about um, how how quickly, how soon they'll be getting uh, employees kind of back on the scene. And he's basically just sort of said, expect, uh, you can expect the production cuts to kind of be as we said, if not more, um, with the very real possibility that they might actually have to come into the market to purchase uranium. Um, or that's, I think his huge. words exactly were. That's huge, right? Yeah. His words exactly were, it's, we can't rule it out that we might have to uh, purchase uranium. But even Which if they huge. don't, it's it, true. It, it, the reason it's huge is because people believe that Kazatomprom um, have got sort of you know in, infinite inventories from which to, which to draw. You know, no one's a believer right. um, about you know how, how much they actually possess. Well, not no one. Sorry, some there are some doubters about how much they actually possess. But what he's saying, he, he wouldn't say it if they one didn't need to, or two were close enough to even consider having to do that so that he's as a at the moment 10 percent, but seem to be 25 percent of the business is, is public um you, you know the, the, they have to their announcements to to the market you know they they have to be you know validated it's all regulated environment so the fact that he felt the need to say that, that it's a possibility you know it's not like he announced oh we've we're definitely out for the next 12 months he said you know we're, we're coming we're halfway through our three months period where we've we, we, we've kind of re, you know reduced the production and the operations here we, we may have to extend it um but we're close right. enough on our inventory levels um that we may need to get in the open market to be able to fulfill our contracts that i just thought that was huge yeah i thought so too um it's it's i think that he's just really stating how how unknown the situation is for them um, not, I don't think he's necessarily trying to send a shot over the bow and, uh, and, and make a statement to the market, trying to shake things up. I think it's more along the lines of, look, our inventories have really been drawn down. So in one of these, in one of these interviews, he stated that 2015 to 2017, they didn't even sell 25% of their production. Mm. He didn't 
he didn't specify whether that was attributable for Kazadam Prom. I'm sure, I believe that it was. So I I had made a tweet about this saying that was 45 million pounds, which would be 25% of total production from 2015 to 2017. But I actually think it was their attributable, which would be more like 20, 25 million pounds or so uh, of excess. Um, so we know that they had they had really big inventories. And even before, um, let's see, in March, uh, when they reported their initial shutdown um, due to COVID, they said that they had, I believe it was, it was uh, how many? It was, it was a 20, 20 something million pounds of inventory, 22 million pounds, I believe. And so we we already know that they've they're saying that they've got 10.4 million pounds uh, s- supply hit due to this shutdown. So basically, we're expecting that they'll have potentially less than 10 million pounds of inventory um, by the time this this comes around. So so now we have we also have the possibility of yellow cake making another another purchase. Um, going forward here, so they're getting they're getting really really thin on their inventories for such a a large entity with the amount of sales that they have, and that doesn't include any possibility of the the supply impacts going forward being greater than what they've expected. So whether that's a quote unquote second wave of COVID or things just don't get going as quickly as they expect. You know, that's you just can't price that in, but that possibility exists. Absolutely, and it's and it's a huge operation there. Thousands, thousands of people. Yeah, but you know, yeah. M- multiple wells. Um, you know, m- m- you know, it's a huge operation, and to kind of get that up and running overnight, that that's that's harder than it uh, sounds. Uh, so it's not like switching the light switch on. So that's that's the, I think for me the biggest news of the week. Um, we've got a few other things that we need to talk about, but that's the biggest news of the week, because if I'm a near term or a producer of uranium, if I'm the CEO, that just made my week. I'm, I'm smiling. That's good news. Um, and as a result, I think the, you know, equity bars of, of junior uranium stock should take note. Um, certainly in terms of, you know, maybe where the, the weight of their portfolio should be leaning. Um, you know, right. I th- I think so, so like I say, so I, th- I, th- I think that's actually big news. I mean, even Kamika, I'm sure, would have to be delighted to receive that news. Um, so, I mean, and, and, and what else What else with Kazan and Promise? Were there any other pieces of that um, release that you kind of stuck out for, stuck out for you? Not necessarily. Um, I, I really think that was kind of the biggest, the biggest takeaway from, from those interviews that, that uh, Permatov had, but... I think uh, it's just the implications are massive. It's, just, it's the biggest producer that's been the, the, the largest source of oversupply over the past decade that couldn't even sell all their uranium for three years in a row uh, up until recently. Now down to, um, you know, after this is all said and done, down to less than 10 million pounds of inventory when ideally they're sitting on 20 to 25 million pounds. They like to have six to eight months of inventory on hand at all times. So it's 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 a pretty big drawdown, and I think it kind of I mean to me it represents the drawdown of the entire industry as far as mobile supply goes. So it, and it sort of reflects kind of what's going on in the spot market right now, which is basically a stalemate. We're not really seeing much volume there, um, and even with the uh, lack of lack of purchasing volume, we're not seeing the prices drop. So that basically is just meaning, okay, now we've now our prices, spot prices are up almost 40% over the past couple of months, yet we aren't really seeing new supply come into the spot market to take advantage of those prices and sell into the market. So overall, I think that the market remains really thin and there's just this really interesting stalemate going on. Uh, that's sort of uh, that's largely influenced by COVID. You know, I think that the utilities in general are sort of focusing on operations and not necessarily um, concerning themselves with procurement that might need to happen. Um, But we have this great unknown going forward just with production levels. And I think that any further production cuts are not priced in whatsoever. So it'd be interesting to see how uh, how Kazadam Prom reports going forward. So yeah, their their three months is up in about a month. <clears throat> so I'd expect that we hear more news in let's say two to three weeks. 
to say, okay, we're, we're going to be starting up this mine and that mine, but we still have this mine and that mine slowly coming back. We've got a couple that we're waiting on, you know, who knows what they're really going to say, but I, I think the potential is there for the impact to be greater than 10.4 million pounds for them. And what's what is what's your take on the numbers that came out last week? Obviously, the you know U.S. utilities and, and holders reported inventory levels last week. It was a bit of a shock, I think, to the market because no one really kind of we discussed it last week. No one really kind of called those numbers. Um, some people say they they were sort of right, and some people would go behind them and go, okay, that I, I didn't see that coming. But a week on, what what are you hearing in the market? Have you you've been having conversations with um, other uranium bulls, and are they? I haven't, I honestly, yeah, I, I haven't been hearing that much, haven't been talking about it that much, but I've been thinking about it. Um, and I think just reflecting on it, I don't really necessarily see those numbers as being bullish or bearish. Um, and thinking more about just the, the big spot volume in 2018, the second half of 2018 that was delivered in 2019. That was after the announcement of MacArthur closing. So a lot of that spot U308, um, that was reported in in the inventories was from procurement in 2018. It was a result of the announcement of that mine closure. But either way, the utility, the inventories are what they are. So, um, I you know, it's my my big takeaway. I think then, and what I'm sort of concluding at the moment is that utilities are not yet at emergency mode. It's not like the pantry is absolutely bare and they're desperate to buy uranium as soon as we clear the COVID situation, you know, perhaps the presidential election is overhanging. Um, maybe there's some utilities that have reactors that are set to retire at a later part in the decade. And if we have another four years of Trump, perhaps it's more likely that we get life extensions or government support if they're um, deregulated markets, things like that. So that's an overhang. Then we have the Iran waivers and the Russian suspension agreement. A bunch of these overhangs. We've already talked about all this stuff. But what I'm seeing is I believe that the utilities, they're not yet in emergency mode, but there definitely are some uncovered utilities that will need to procure uranium within, let's say, the next six months. But what I do think is that more so than the contracting cycle is in a, a is in a place of need for the utilities, it's in a place of need for the industry. And so there's a couple of ways this plays out. Utilities procure sooner rather than later and in decent volume enough to get uh, Cigar back online, get MacArthur started to come back online, and we avoid a massive price spike two, three years down the road. Or the inventories that were just reported, um, the utilities not wanting to jump in to really squeeze the price up leaves them a little bit of wiggle room to not procure uranium sooner. And then we have this situation that just continues to exacerbate, which is not enough supply a few years down the road. So we have, so I don't see it at emergency levels for the utilities, but something needs to happen and it needs to happen soon to make sure we don't avoid a situation down the road. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm seeing things. Um, so yeah, just to be to be completely honest out there about the utilities, you know, I, I as an investor in this space, you really have to keep that longer term vision. And if you're investing now, expecting the price to go to a hundred dollars by January, I don't think that's realistic. But I, I, I think, the longer it drags yeah. out, <laughs> the more likely that we are to see a price spike situation. So yeah, it's really it's really interesting. I, I think I think it's fascinating. The pricing the pricing is fascinating, but um. I think people expecting it to go to hundred bucks. Um, I, I am more cautious. I'm a little bit more circumspect. And another group who is uh, as guarded uh, as me is uh, Trade Tech. Now you listened this week. You were telling me to a webinar which they uh, put out. So, what what was the um, main topic, and what were the what were the other topics covered? On that call, so I, I did not listen to it. Um, I was elsewhere. So, what, what was the uh, takeaway for you? Yeah, it was a really, really great webinar. Actually, um, it was uh, it, it was put together by Trade Tech and the CEO of Trade Tech, uh, Treva. I'm forgetting her last Treva name. Treva Klingbeil. Um, there you go. You're welcome. Um, she was great. 
just presented really, really well and had a, a good slideshow that went along with it. Um, I, I kept having to kind of pinch myself to remind myself that this was a presentation that wasn't coming from from a fund or someone on the investing side. It was coming from one of the, the from the nuclear consultant, nuclear fuel consultant that they do price reporting and from the fuel buyers that I talk with, they, you know, UXC by far seems to have, uh, let's say, like a, like a greater readership and a greater level of adoption in the industry. But the guys that I talk with, they have much more respect for the analysis um, from trade tech, that it seems like it's, it's a little bit more honest look at the market and less, um, how do you want to say it? less uh telling the utilities what they want to hear i suppose to put it in one way that's interesting that's interesting. yeah it's- I, I, I met treva last september um and she was telling me basically what they do is they take the information from the company they actually analyze the asset and they will discount according to what they think technically the asset is capable of delivering which is a very different set of figures from what the company is projecting into the market these public companies are projecting into the market because you know you tell your best version of the story and as i you know certainly my banking days you you had varying degrees of discounts that you applied um you know, people may you know maybe used to sort of seeing sort of npv numbers for instance you know npv 5 8 10 whatever um we would we would take a much more broadsword approach which was of slicing 20, 40% off on taking five-year moving averages instead. And I think that trade tech take a, a similar view, but from a technical perspective, and I, and I actually quite like what they had to say there, but I, I've not come across UXC, so I'm not commenting on them. But um, I think why I'm asking about the, 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 the tenor of that uh, webinar is because their long-term forecast for the number is very far from the 100 bucks we were talking about there in terms of price bucks. A price spike. So, again, what 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 was the ta- what was your takeaway? Professionalism apart, you know, what what was the um, the meat of the webinar? I would say the takeaway is that the that that this industry needs new minds to get into get into development relatively soon in order to avoid a, a serious situation towards the later part of the decade. That was my big takeaway. Right. That was reiterated over and over and over in the webinar, various slides and in her language. Um, so that that which was a not it wasn't a surprise. I mean, obviously, if you can look at at the WNA uh, fuel report and see the see the the supply demand outlook graphs that are quite shocking out to the later part of the decade. But to hear it um, in in such plain words coming from one of the primary nuclear fuel consultants was, was pretty, uh, it was, it was very bullish. I mean, to not put it, to put it that way. So she just, she continued to reiterate that, um, you know, fundamentals indicate the world does need new uranium mines. I mean, that's just to put it simply. Yeah. And I I think as as we were just outlining, she's, she's not a sensationalist. She's not a promoter. So there's no upside for her to do that. She's a realist and, you know, her team are, you know, met, met, uh, met the team, right. Good guys. Gals, um, I, would, I would say if she's saying it, people better start paying attention. For yeah, sure. for sure. I'm I'm looking right now at the kind of the summary conclusion slide um, that I screenshotted from the webinar. And the last point here, which is another thing that she hammered home, was the economic competitiveness of production in Karen maintenance is questionable. Mm. So you know, sort of the the bear case is that we've got all of these pounds and care and maintenance that are just ready to come online, and to some extent that's true. I mean, currently Cigar Lake, which the market is expecting will be on sooner rather than later, um, but obviously the big ones, MacArthur River and Langer Heinrich, which together I believe would be about twenty five million pounds a year, um, roughly off the top of my head. Um, you know, so there's basically questioning whether or not these mines are even competitive um, mm. from a cost basis relative to what we're seeing now, even as the prices rise. So any anytime you see a supply-demand um, graph looking forward that shows these mines back online, you have to already assume that we've got $45, $50 uranium at that point. So it's not like you, 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 you can't have both. 
(laughs) You can't have prices remain this level and have the supply come back online and kill the narrative. You, we, we have to have prices at least up into that $45, $50 range to get MacArthur back online a little bit higher to get Langer back online, at which point we're two to three years down the road. And the situation is exacerbated with, with, uh, with, uh, uncovered requirements for the U S and Europe at that point. So it's, there is a lot of pounds waiting to come online, but at what price? That's kind of a big question. That's fascinating. Well, and again, you, you know, we we all look to what that means for our, our investments, right? Where, you know, if, she, if she's if she's saying this, that what what that says to me is that um, if these larger mines are going to take, you know, longer, it's going to be harder to you know get back get back into production. It means there's the few guys in the middle who perhaps. Um, wouldn't get funded otherwise if, the, if you know if that's the message in the market. Some funds are going to be like, well, okay, maybe some of these these companies, which perhaps we didn't think were uh, financeable, may be financeable. So there's a, there's a few few more of these players who can actually play because um, yeah, right. you know, I've, I, I have my doubts about you know quite a few players in the market being able to get it financed for for lots of reasons. But um, news like this, I think, helps them. So again, that that adjusts. You know the the um, the variables in, as part of the you know when we when we're sitting down and doing our diligence and working out you know where we should place our bets. So I think that's that's good news for the for the wider market anyway, the wider uranium market. Um, and what any anything else that's stuck out with, from Triva? Um, not really. I mean, it, I I would say I would definitely suggest anyone listening to this right now to check it out. There's the replay. Um, I've got, I, I posted a link in my, in my Twitter feed and I'll, I'll send a link out to the newsletter, <clears throat> but it is just a, a good overview of the, of the entire situation set up here. And mm. if you haven't watched it yet and plan to just kind of keep in mind that it is coming from, from a, a an analyst and an analyst and a, and a consultant and not the investing side, because it, it reads like an investing uh, presentation like this is the reason why you should get in you know <laughs> that's the way that it that it that it that it came off to me so yeah so it's, it's really some, there's some there's some interesting narratives moving around the market i mean i, I talked um about a piece that was written by the hill um very political uh mm. rag uh and you know <laughs> much influenced by lobbyists and so forth so you take everything with a bit of a pinch of salt um but they were right. they were talking about again the you know the the russian sanctions with regards to you know the russian cap the 20 percent um and the folly of removing the russian nuclear fuel import uh cap um it, again it, it, it could have been you know it, it, it was very 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 um against the russians um being able to influence the nuclear energy supply in the U.S. Um, as a political tool, I think the fear was it would be like Nord Gas One and Two in Europe, where Russia kind of controls gas prices effectively. Um, but yeah, there's there's there's, there's a tone and a tenor in the, in the market which is just a little bit more anxious since the nuclear fuel working group uh, announcement. Um, you know, we've had more. Actually, we had a reaction this week from we talked last week about the. The um, the Mr. Pompeo um, and the uh, Iranian sanctions. Well, you know, this week finally the Europeans, the Brits, replied, and they were they said they deeply regretted the U.S.'s decision to end the three-year sanction waiver covering the uh, JCPOA. I, you know, that, that's <laughs> for us. That's strong language. Um, and but but China said right. Uh, may as well have said. Uh, not interested. Um, we will continue working with Iran, and anyone who wants to join us is welcome to join us. So there you go. That's kind of up the geopolitical tension a, a, a notch, and I think we know where Russia stands on the issue. So I don't think that one's going away anytime right. soon. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, obviously, um, we've got kind of some Cold War-esque moves going on between various countries and and i think that it at the very least it it's hard to uh hard to predict how that's going to play out from a utility perspective um 
whether or not that Russian supply will be impacted. I'm not really betting on it at this point. I don't know. It's, I, I, I think that the RSA is going to be continued, and I, and obviously that's strong language coming from the U.S. as far as the sanctions waivers. And they, what did they have a 30 or 60 day sort of grace period? Mm. Um, so who knows if that'll get renegotiated within that period of time? And I can't imagine the U.S. wants to give up having oversight and having some intel into what's going on within. Iran for the sake of sanctioning them. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's a hard one to predict. There's a lot of moving parts and players, but uh, at the very least, it's more uncertainty. Yeah, I, I, it it definitely is because I, I think it has repercussions. If you if you're basically telling one of the suppliers of twenty percent, possibly forty percent, depending on how you you consider former your uh, Russian USSR states. Soviet states, um, you're you're effectively going to economic war with them, and you're going to have to somehow paper up an agreement which still allows the people that you're telling what to do, the Russians and and former Russian states, what to do, um, that they can't do business in Iran, um, but we still want your product over here. So the, it it's very complicated. <coughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure that one's going to quite going to work out for Mr. Trump. Um, and I think you know, there's a, there's a lot of people waiting around to sort of see what happens at the end of this year. You know, it's voting season, guys. It's voting season. Um, and <laughs> and I think it, actually just on just on that because it is it, it is all related. And sure. you're that side of the pond. You're you're our letter from America. Um, the, the these. The, the George Floyd situation, I mean, has that, in, in, I don't know what press you read or what, what media you consume, but has that sort of changed the, the, the people in the middle somewhat? You know, perhaps there are a little of what we call floating voters over here, um, you know, because obviously the, the people at either ends, the re- Republicans are Republicans and Democrats are Democrats. Uh, but the people in the middle, have they been swayed by the reaction of the U.S. government and Mr. Trump in particular here? Because it, it's a big deal. I think a few months ago, we, this side of the pond, we thought Trump was a shoo-in because there was, there's no meaningful opposition. But now with the way that he has dealt with his people, people on the street, the, the ordinary man, the ordinary woman, um, it doesn't look good from over here. And I, I think I think things have moved moved enough, but uh, moved a little bit. So it, has it moved enough to make his position a little bit more precarious come come November? It's, it's very difficult to say. Um, I think that from what I'm seeing, okay, so the, the, little, the town that I live in is very, very left-leaning, very liberal, little hippie town. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, you know, it has kind of some old school farmers and ranchers that are maybe a little bit more conservative, but for the most part, it's pretty left-leaning and my, my general circles of friends and people that I know, um, they all hate Trump. And they all hate him based on <clears throat> based on the media influencing them on uh, and highlighting kind of his manner of communication, which is terrible. Um, and so, what I've seen, though, I would say in the past few months, I've seen more people um, become more accepting of Trump, and actually some of them making a full sea change from the left to the right. We actually saw even a, a Republican um, Congressperson elected in the California um, last month, which was a pretty big deal. And we're, we're seeing uh, Republican senators being elected all over the country right now. So it's a difficult thing to predict because the media is such a, so majority left-leaning and that's what we all see. Social media is all strongly left-leaning. And, and so everything that we're seeing that's not directly in front of our faces in our real, in our day-to-day lives is through through a screen and through these various media sources that all generally speaking lean left. The other thing is that, um, I mean, obviously the George Floyd situation was, 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 was terrible and anyone in their right mind would denounce this. So we have protests against police brutality, but then we're also seeing these riots that are very clearly from these, from extreme, extreme left-wing slash anarchist sort of factions that are just taking advantage of the situation to inflame it and loot and riot 
And everybody knows that these people are on the left and the American people, generally speaking, don't seem to be very happy about what's going on. So <clears throat> there's a huge amount of the population that's just like, yeah, you know, screw it, bring in the National Guard, bring in the military because the cops aren't doing the job and, and these people are still rioting and looting and, and, and doing damage to all of these businesses just when, you know, we're thinking about opening things back up. And I don't want to get too deep into this. I, I honestly have pretty alternative views on the whole situation. Um, <clears throat> I don't particularly care for Trump as a person. Um, I don't think that he communicates very well. I think that he has some serious issues with narcissism and a big ego. But I do think that he has somewhat of a moral compass. And there's some stuff going on right now that the media will never, ever report, which is, I mean, the big thing is like the Federal Reserve, which is not federal nor a reserve, is being bankrupted before our eyes. And the last president that tried to do that was JFK, and we saw what happened to him. So I think that a lot of what's going on that we're seeing in the media, these riots, these lootings, the George Floyd situation, potentially even the virus or the response to the virus, I think is 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 major political games that are being played because the the powers that have have historically been are being threatened right now. That's my personal take. <laughs> so I think there's a lot going on that is not right in front of our faces in media and social media. And uh, usually the the general narrative is not the real narrative. So I would suggest that people think a little bit deeper on it. But as you say, it's a bit hard when the media is liberal on the whole. Right. And we don't tell the Russians right. that. They'll be very right. disappointed with their campaign um, if we thought right. that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, th 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 thanks for that. I mean, it's it, like I say, it's, sure. it's an interesting take. Again, it's 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 not what we get to hear here because again, it's it's slightly skewed, as right. as all media right. is or ten, tends to be um, at, at different points. Um, yeah. I think the, the by the way, the other the other thing. Did you, I don't know if you noticed this this week. There was um there was um announcement about and it's a, there's another section two three two coming. Did you know that? Oh, the vanadium. The vanadium. The vanadium. Yeah, um, which is usually quite closely associated with um, uranium because it's you know contained sometimes in there uh, sure. alongside. Um, right. Yes. So yet another U.S. national security issue. <laughs> I'm, try I'm trying to think of anything that isn't. It'll be avocados next. <laughs> it's avocado shortage. Um, national security. Um, what was your take on that? I would be really concerned about that. Oh man. <laughs> It's life changing. It's a game changer. I, I would march the streets for that. Um, so, so what what is your take on that? Because, because again, we, we we're seeing these again these noises from Capitol Hill with regards to rare earths. We've talked about that previously uh, in the last week, week before. Um, now it's vanadium. I mean, vanadium, vanadium is used in, the, in uh, steel production, right? So about ninety percent of it goes into steel production. But right. the this. Right. Particular group of senators was talking about vanadium in the context of um, aerospace, defense, energy applications, that 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 sort of thing, you know, for aircraft and jet engines and missiles and the usual right. usual stuff. So, but it, but it, it's a very small market. That wouldn't it be easier just go and buy a couple of vanadium producers? Why is it, why is it a national security issue? That's a good question. Um, it's interesting. I'm actually. My first good right question now, on was, these interviews. Yeah, it was. I think that's I think it's the best one. I'm an a star for effort. No. Oh come on, you're you're far too humble. <laughs> so, so why? why so this was on? actually initiated by by the Department of Commerce. Um, Wilbur Ross, my secretary. Oh. Wilbur Ross. Yeah, it sounds like it's just an initial investigation into whether or not it's a national security issue, right? The importing of, of vanadium. Um, I don't know. It's in line with everything else that we've been seeing, just with the concerns about critical minerals and, and the move in that direction towards securing supply chains. Um, I haven't looked too deeply into it at this point, um, to be honest, but I think that they're looking at everything right now as far as when I say they, I mean the United States. Um, looking at everything when it comes to imports and and seeing these supply chains deeply affected by by COVID-19 and these sort of cold war trade war things going on so 
Yeah, but one, 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 um, one is self-inflicted. <laughs> one of those things sure. is self-inflicted. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Both you could argue, but one, one of them in particular for the US is self-inflicted. You know, so I, 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 I keep coming back to, and I, and I keep banging this drum, and I, I do apologize for people who don't agree, but this election, ele- this is to me, some of this is electioneering because they need to make noise they need to there's a bunch of senators being reelected sure. uh, before you know before the end of this year as well um there's the presidential election obviously i i would hate mm-hmm. to think that some of these things aren't real it, it's great for people like you and me who comment on the market um right but it, you know you know if you look back over certainly in the uranium space you look back over the last three or four years you know we collectively have, you know, called the market wrong. And I, and I, you know, I guess at some point someone will do an evaluation and work out why, but um, th- th- these, there's some of these things which are deliberately you know, out there just to create some noise. And I, I hope this isn't another one um, of, of these things, but yeah. let's look back in nine months time and work that out. Right. Well, I think that the, uh, the political situation has certainly changed quite a bit since the implementation of the Uranium-232. Um, investigation. So perhaps the vanadium one will, will, will move through the, the process a little bit quicker <laughs> with a little bit more urgency, perhaps. Um, and you're right. I, I think that there's certainly a lot of political influence here with the election year. And uh, I think um, in general, just it seems like the government is taking very seriously um, supply chains and, and, and sustainability of of, of of these critical minerals and, and production and supplying less less supply coming from countries that we can't necessarily rely on um, or even more so our adversaries so yeah I, I mean if I were if I were in a position of leadership for the country I would be concerned about these things as well I would you know I, I would definitely want to have in the case of uranium sure sure there's there's a well, uh, a well-proven-out global supply chain that's been pretty efficient over the past decade. So it's not necessarily that our 20% of our electrical grid is in grave danger at the moment, but I would at least want to have the ability to keep keep those plants running if those supply sources got shut off. Um, well, that's so good, it's, that's it's good, understandable. Good, good news for... We mention them every week, but it seems to be happening at the moment. Energy fuels... Vanadium processing, White Mesa. Yeah, indeed. Uh, UR Energy, they've got a bit of vanadium. Um, I, I, you know, it's all good news. It's kind of it's building up for uh, those guys, it seems. Well, certainly the news is. I think so. And some very sim- similar so. similar conversations with similar people um, happening up on Capitol Hill. So, yeah. Right. Again, I, I, I think there's something going on there. Um Agreed. I'm There's definitely a lot that. of momentum mm. in the, in that direction. It looks looks positive for the U.S. companies mm. for sure. Now yeah. th- th- we should we should talk very quick because I know you're running out of time. You've got you've got avocados to go and buy. Um, I've got all the time for you, Matt. Have you? Gosh. Oh yeah. Gosh. That's the nicest thing anyone said to me today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Peninsula Energy. They uh, announced that they were going to do a raise, like quite a big raise. Like like forty million bucks gonna raise, punchy. Did you hear about that? I did. It's like man, that's that's a lot of money. Um, what do you know? Do you know anything? What do we need to know? Uh, well, I I I don't own it. Um, if you, I did, hmm. I would not be very happy i think <clears throat> it's a really really big dilution it's they, they raised almost their entire market cap um, did you hear about the discount do you want to know the number it was it was a big discount i don't remember the exact number 5.4% discount how are you feeling are you sitting down I'm, I'm squirming a little bit. And I don't even own it. Um, it was well, a it's a funny one. Okay, it's a funny one because um, they they borrowed some money in 2016, about 16 odd million bucks. Okay, they needed to pay that back. Um, yeah, I don't get where we, we're going to oh, crack it. Better be careful. We're alternating between so 16 million US they borrowed and the raise is 40 million 
Australian. Okay, so we've got to make okay. sure we right. transcribe right. that properly. Um, right. So I think you know. So the 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 debt which they'd they'd um, rolled over and rolled over and rolled over. They, I think the the lender had got uh, to the end of the tether and said no, stop. Um, and they needed to pay it back, mm. and they'd rolled it over for another two months. So it's basically due at the end of October. And I think, right. as, as you know, uh, and I know from my banking days, um, we we used to love it when people kind of got very close to the end of the period because you could absolutely screw them to the wall um, in mm. terms of uh, fees, in terms of costs, in terms of discounts. So I think the there's, I think that was right. in the back of their mind because uh, right. it was uh, heavily securitized. So which. Uh, for the uninitiated, that means that um, the money was um, borrowed against assets in the company, possibly not just mm-hmm. not just shares, but uh, probably physical mm-hmm. assets as well. Um, there will have been fees um, and late fees um, on, on that as well. So in all, I think they had to pay back right. 27, right. Um, 27 million of the 40 million. And... Um, what else did they say? So they, they were left with a chunk of change, but around nine, 10 million Aussie. So that, that's what they've got left to play with. So um, it's right. a, for me, hugely dilutive, um, understandable. It was, you know, that loan was there. Um, people have known about it for a long time. Yeah. Um, the two things I'm looking at is they have done, I think Wayne Halley has done something transformational in the company that he's made that asset work technically, or they believe they've got that asset to work technically with this low pH uh, solution. Right. So that's good. They've got some value yeah. there as opposed to <clears throat> nothing, which I, you know, been long time pumped up by based on right. it not being able to, not, not even been able to make it work. So, so there's one big right. win I think for Wayne Helly. Um, the second thing is what yeah. do they do with 10 million bucks? They've also got some income from long-term. They've got these long-term contracts, right? They've got these contracts which go out like, another 10 years or so at 15, 50 and 60 bucks. So they've got possibly six to 8 million bucks a year income from that. So I'm looking mm-hmm. to see what they can do with that. Cause we know it's a, it's a low spot market environment. We know that these guys are near us, damn it at the bottom of the curve. Um, it's a question of what upside you see with these companies. They, I think of a, uh, a low cost, uh, low capex, sorry, low capex and low cost um, ISR solution there. And it's what you've got to work out what you believe the company's capable of doing. Um, so I, 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 I think it was, I thought the discount was a kind of, you know, fall off the chair kind of discount. But given the environment everyone's predicting, I think they've got the potential to get back up and out there again, depending on what they do and how, how conservatively they move forward or how aggressively they move forward. Um, and I think when they're the, they're the smart thing they did, it was, um, I can't quite remember the actual phrase, but it basically means they're giving the existing shareholders the opportunity to buy these shares first rather than in the open market. So they, the existing shareholders right. can take advantage of the discount. So the dilution in that sense is not as bad as it could be these guys um so it, it, it's yeah. a, it's a toughie but i don't see how they could have done it any other way they needed to go big mm. we're yet to see if they get that over the line i know it's been underwritten by canaccord and what is it one other i can't remember um i hope they don't fall foul or you know you know get caught out mechanical dumping stock in the market as soon as they possibly can. So I've, I've done, I haven't seen the actual terms. Um, but yeah, I don't see what else they could have done. Otherwise it was, you know, come October, it's, you know, goodbye. Because the market ain't, ain't coming back by October strong enough for them to, you know, well, leave it that, la- leave it that long with the uncertainty in the market and I say, me as a banker, I'd have been delighted to have a conversation with them in October, but for all the wrong reasons for the company. Um, so I think they needed to move now, whereas <laughs> po- possibly in terms of spot price-wise and sort of a little bit more um, positivity right. in the market at the end of this year, it would have been right. a better time, but they, they ran out of time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I'd, so I'd, I, I, you know, I'm not, not sure how that's going to work out, but um, I'm going to give right. him the benefit of the doubt and, and see what... 
he does over the next few months um, with that money. You know, so I think, you know, stand back and give mm-hmm. him a chance. And uh, you're right. I, I don't think the Aussie retail are particularly delighted, but uh, mm. they're in a tough place. The company's in a tough place. And, you know, uh, it, these are all known yep. factors. It's not like it's something c- that came out of the blue. This, this, this loan has been around for a long time, for nearly what's four and a half, five sure. years. So there you go. So there you go. Peninsula Energy, one, one to watch, folks, but um, I wouldn't go leaping in with yeah. both boots at the moment. There, <laughs> there's no doubt that, that it puts the company in a good position like, mm. to be able to clear that debt and be cashed up. It's uh, it, it puts them in a great position. I think, I mean, I, I don't mean to be to sound negative about it because it's definitely a positive move for the company. Um, to be able to get get that out of the way and kind of have 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 cash and have a clear plan going forward, it's definitely good. It's it's just a huge dilution for existing shareholders. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. For for me, I sort of um, I just I would I would kind of ask the question of how they got themselves into that position to begin with. It sounds like the the loan that they needed to be paid back was sort of a bet on the market turning sooner rather than later. So maybe I in that, can't that believe maybe they got that wrong. In, in the- if only they'd listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> if only they'd listen to the market commentators. I think we all got that bet wrong. Yeah. Uh, safe to say. Um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a question of timing. It, it it's taken a lot right. longer to come back than anyone had imagined, and right. you know, um, yeah, they got caught out like a like like a yeah. lot of people, like a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I don't think they've made any serious mistakes. I don't think the overheads are, are, are crazy. Um, I think they've got something good, which they can short-term get in production with when this thing gets going. They just need to right. make sure they don't need to borrow any, any more money anytime soon. That would yeah, be that's, that's kind of the thing to watch. Caution. They, hmm. they should not be doing any raises for a while unless they're go on some kind of acquisition spree or something like that. But um, yeah, hopefully a bit more conservatism, but I'm not mm. really sure that's the ASX way. It seems like uh, <laughs> shares, shares are like dollars growing on a tree. It just unlimited, yeah. <clears throat> unlimited shares available. Yeah. Oh, I, I was talking to um, someone, we, we do this chat on for the Crux Club with a fund manager out of London. We were talking about one of the companies that we talked about five companies, gold, Aussie gold, which is a big, big deal at the moment, right? Um, like mm. one, one was one of the companies, a thousand percent appreciation this year. Mm. Okay. So a thousand percent. I'd be happy with that. Um, yeah. But and one of the other companies um, that's just doing a rollback. And I said, well, why is it doing a rollback? He said, well, because it's got 10.5 billion shares out. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and you're like, what? What's it, what, what just happened? And um, yeah. do you want to guess the market cap <clears throat> for that? 10 billion shares? Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, the fact that you asked me, it's probably, was it less than 10 million or something? Oh, like no, that? not that bad. It's 30 million, Aussie. No, not that bad. Okay. 30, yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, man. They don't yeah. mind, though. They don't I care. I mean, I get... Yeah. They don't care over that. I mean, there's nothing inherently bad about, about a high share count. It's just how did they get there? That's the thing. Long history. How did they get there? And did, and did it bring massive value to the shareholders that it diluted in, in the meantime? So, you know, it did. So, yeah. You know, it did. Back to Peninsula. <laughs> I, Back to Peninsula. Yeah. I think they're, they're, they're in a good place mm. now. Uh, I mean, it, it hurts if you're holding, um, but if you're able to either take part in that placement or now you know, buying shares at that reduced level that, that it just got smacked down to, then I guess that's an opportunity. Uh, I mean, I think, I honestly think right now is an opportunity, not necessarily only for Peninsula, but now and over the next, it's hard to say because I don't know, we've got maybe three weeks before a Kazadam prom announcement. And if they, if they uh, send out some strong language and we could see the market move again, mm-hmm. uh, and cigars kind of floating around, but I kind of think this period, let's say the next few weeks to the next few months is a nice this could be kind of a, a good accumulation opportunity. Uh, I don't know what people are waiting for. We, what we, should seasonally be strong, right? We, we've been going in. I mean, we've been going in for two months. Yep. Are, are you kidding me? If Like, you either believe the macro story right. or you don't. You're either right. a contrarian or you're not. And if you happen to be both, 
this is literally the last few months has literally been the definition of when to invest, right? It's all the science are there. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you, you know, we, 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 we're fundamentalists as well, of course. Um, we've got, you know, we've got to believe the, the management capable of delivering, but there's, there's, a, there's a lot of choice right. out there. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's good times. I, I, I think there's nothing, the uranium, uh, people who are interested in investing in uranium, just, just pick the right horse guys, pick the right horse. Don't do it on gut feel. Very important. Don't do it on gut feel or emotion or what people say. Do your homework, work it out. It's pretty easy. There you go. Big, big <laughs> there statement. There you go. Big Agreed. statement. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pick the right horse. Hey, so here's horses. a question. Here's a question for you. So, yeah. so I asked, I always ask people when they start talking about politics, right? Like they go, right, okay. So, um, you have a local governor. What, what, what's your local governor's name? State governor. Yeah. His name is Gavin Newsom. Good. Who's your? Who's the senator who represents your region? Who's your senator? Is that the way it works? You there? You back? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Justin? Yes. Calling. Yeah, I'm here. Calling Mr. Hoon. Calling Mr. Hoon. <laughs> can you not hear me? <laughs> I lost you there for a second. I lost you there for a second. I, I think we're oh, being, can I you think hear we're, me now? I think we're being bugged. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I said, I said the magic word Pelosi and suddenly our call dropped. Oh, boy. <laughs> I wouldn't mess with her. Would you mess with her? She she looks she looks mm. tough. That's that's well, one. the Pelosi and the Newsom families, along with the Gettys, have basically owned California for hundred years. Right, it's an old Italian mafia family. So right. Do they? Yeah. You, you, but yeah. where are you going with this? No, I just want to see what you see what you know because a lot of people sort of talk about politics and then I turn around and you know, in the UK and go, "Who's your MP?" and they go, "I don't know." Okay. Mm. Thanks for that. Right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for your informed, yeah, informed decision. Sure. Um, sure. And do you vote? Do you vote? I do. Ever missed one? Yes, sir. Yeah. Was that? You have you, have you ever missed one? Oh, when I was younger, I missed some when I was more cynical about the whole process. <clears throat> when you were an but anarchist. I still think there's some semblance of a democracy here, at least, especially on a local level. Hmm. Kind of question things on the higher up level, but. Yeah, I I vote for sure. You? Oh yeah, very much so. Well, look, Justin, um, on that salutary note, um, let's leave it here for this week. That's gone on a little bit longer than we, we normally do because I don't know how we find things to talk about. We we always do. I really enjoy talking to you. Um, as ever, uh, anyone listening to this, you can get uh, Justin Hume, the Uranium Insider at uraniuminsider.com. He's all over Twitter can't get away from him on twitter and he puts out a pretty interesting newsletter so um definitely definitely worth the read so uh, have a look at that and justin we will speak to you again next week thank you very much sir very good sir always good to chat matt okay. have a great weekend cheers buddy <laughs>